We're rolling. Welcome to the House Dudes Podcast, where we invite you to follow us on our journey towards financial freedom using the power of real estate. I'm Jack Haas. And I'm Josh Koth. Here at House Dudes, we believe in a couple key principles. Number one, the best way to retain information is by teaching it to others. And number two, a rising tide lifts all boats. We're not competitors, we're a community. So let's get into some real estate investing. So we got Ryan Shaw on the line here tonight. And Ryan has kind of an interesting story and in what's going on there. So Ryan, I'm just going to let you start things off and, and introduce yourself to everyone. Hey, Jack. Thanks for uh, inviting me on the podcast. So my name is Ryan Shaw. I uh, graduated in 2015 as a pharmacist. So I work as a full-time pharmacist. And I wanted to do more with my life than just be that pharmacist who worked until they're 65 and finally retired. So I got into real estate investing. And real estate investing um, really was uh, something that I was inspired by from my grandpa. He owned a couple properties in the Bay Area. And he was able from that rental income to pay for all of his expenses and retire early. And not only that, he was able to help pay for my tuition and my brother's tuition as well. So I realized that real estate investing is one of the best ways to create generational wealth. So I wanted to get started as soon as possible. I aggressively saved up for a down payment. 2016, I put down a down payment on my first house. It was a single family property, pretty cookie cutter property, three bed, two bath. And then I realized I could make a lot more money if I rented it out per bedroom rather than the whole house. So the estimated rent per the whole house was around 1500 mm-hmm. based off Zillow and Rentometer. Uh, but I realized I can actually get 2500 if I charged around $600 per tenant. And so that's what I did. I just uh, rented out to college students. And then I repeated this model year after year. I bought one property a year. Now I have four houses, 18 tenants, and that's making me $10,755 in rental income. So, so this is kind of a really interesting concept because you're actually, let's go where you actually um, do your investing too, because a lot of people shy away from uh, your market because they haven't been able to get those numbers to work. So exactly. So yeah, I mean, something I didn't mention, I I invest in California and this is one of the craziest markets. Uh, Houses in the the San Francisco Bay area are in the millions of dollars Uh, Mm -hmm. where I'm from in Sacramento. It's 500,000. But I found that, you know, if I drove about an hour away to Stockton, the houses are in the $300,000 range. And then the numbers just make a lot more sense. I'm able to make the cash flow that I need to. In fact, I'm able to be positive in cash flow on 15-year mortgages. All of my houses are 15-year mortgages. So like, I'm guaranteed by the end of 15 years to have six figures coming in and passive income. So yeah. it's like, it's pretty amazing, especially since I'm in California. So, and you're really, you're doing this with all like four properties right now. Yeah. All this with only four properties. I didn't have to go out and buy like a hundred deals or buy apartments and all that or syndicate. I just, you know, invested in single family homes. Sure. So is there anything else outside, you know, you, you say you have to go an hour, an hour and a half outside of, of town, you know, and what was the name of the town again? Oh, Stockton, California. Stockton, California. Uh, is there colleges and like there's a community there that kind of supports this model? Yeah, there's a couple colleges. Actually, California has a ton of colleges. 
um, this model could be repeated in different areas. Like I was also thinking, looking into Elk Grove where the houses are, you know, late, um, I would say 380,000 to $410,000 range, but you know, the numbers still could work out because if you rent per bedroom, your cash flow is paying for your mortgage. Right. Right. Sure. So can you talk about a little bit about like what drew you to those specific properties? Can you give us an example of, mm-hmm. of let's, let's break it down. Like you have one property, you got four bedrooms, four college kids living there. What is, mm-hmm. what does that scenario look like? Yeah. Good question. Uh, so I guess I was inspired by my friend first um, who just house hacked in his, in the college town where I was, um, going to college and he basically lived there for free because he was able to rent out the other bedrooms. Uh, typical 15 year mortgage is <clears throat> around $2,300 per month on the $315,000 house in Stockton. And because I'm able to rent out per bedroom, I'm able to get more like $2,700 per month or $2,800 per month. Right. And you know, I don't only just rent out per bedroom. I also put in like multiple students in a bedroom. And so they'll share the bedroom and they'll pay a little bit, you know, overall it's a little bit more rent. Um, The other thing is I create extra bedrooms where I can. So I'll take like a living room or an extra family room and I'll just, you know, um, make it, furnish it. So it's like a bedroom and I'll put in a door or potentially up a wall, like some drywall and that'll be, another bedroom and then that increases my rent at $600 per month, right? Sure. So my last property, I'm actually, I have five students and that's making me $3,100 per month. And it, it, it started out as a three bed, two bath and I converted it to a five bed, two bath to make that $3,100 per month. Sure, that's interesting. So, you know, being an hour, hour and a half away from you, I can't imagine you really do you do your property management yourself? I know that's only four properties, but how does that all work? I do actually, I self-manage. So a lot of it is about automating and having systems and processes in place, right? So it doesn't require a lot of time from you. So one of the things I do, of course, is auto pay, right? Mm-hmm. I use uh, the Zelle payment system as well, which is a direct deposit. And sure. so I know exactly when they send the money so I don't have to deal with like, um, lost checks or whatever right. checks that you know got lost in the mail, right? So I know if they're late and I could charge a late fee. I have a system for if you know something breaks down, right? They'll, the tenant will send me a text message. I'll forward it to my team of contractors. Um, each contractor has their own you know specialty area, mm-hmm. and I'll just refer it to the proper contractor, and then they'll let themselves in because they know the electronic code on the, oh, sure. the, the, the front door, right? So and then they do their work, they locks. go home and send sure. me a check. I mean, send me the bill and I send, send them a check and that's it. Sure. That's an interesting process. Like that's, that's yeah. uh, pretty, pretty low uh, because you know, a lot of people get burnt out from self-managing and I know you have only the oh, yeah. four properties, but it sounds like you really have kind of figured out a workflow there to, to kind of make things a little easier. Yeah, I mean, I've been investing for over four years now, so I kind of have this system in place now that I can rely on that makes everything automated. Sure. Have you tried to use any of those online solutions like Cozy or something similar? Yeah, you know, there's a lot of them out there. I haven't actually had to go use one of them yet. Sure. Uh, most of it, yeah, is, is just something I kind of created. 
Sure. No, that's kind of neat. So can you uh, give us some tips and tricks uh, since you've been managing these now for four years, what are some of the pitfalls and some of the things that you've been able to avoid? Pitfalls. Um, well, I'll tell you actually my first mistake. Uh, uh, when I bought my first house, it was a really old house. It was a hundred years old. So I got a call from a tenant one day and he was like, dude, there's a, uh, there's sewage coming out of the sink onto the kitchen floor. So mm -hmm. I was like, Oh crap, what the heck? And this was at 11 PM at night. So you can imagine I called quite a few plumbers before I was finally able to find someone to go in and sanitize the place and clean up the mess and, um, you know, fix the plumbing issue. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and then they also had to put in a sump pump as well. And that whole process cost me a couple thousand dollars. Not only that, when I stuck a snake, uh, camera down the sewage line, right. it found a lot of breaks in the pipe. Um, it was rusted over. It was a cast iron pipe. So everything was rusted. There were roots sticking in. And so I had to replace the whole sewage line. I found out later and it cost me $6,000 to do that. Mm -hmm. So I learned that doing your due diligence during the escrow phase to make sure, you know, you buy a house where it, you know, a house that's well maintained and everything's up to date is very key. So something I could have easily done is done the sewage line inspection, which only costs like $200, $300 during the escrow phase and use that as a negotiation point um, at closing, right? Maybe right. they could cut me a check to replace the sewage line or they could do the repairs themselves, right? Right. Or the seller yeah. could. Yeah, and, and uh, I think a lot of people lose sight of that, that, you know, we, you get a property under contract, whether it's off the MLS or if you're talking to that buyer directly, you still have that period of time to do some due diligence. And frankly, exactly. it's another negotiation period. So Yeah, that's really key. Let's go back to you. You said that uh, your grandfather or father had rental properties? Yeah, my grandpa actually had a couple properties in the Bay Area. Sure. And they funded his retirement, helped uh, pay for, you know, some of my schooling, my brother's schooling as well. Yeah. So, like, what lessons did you learn from him? I mean, there had to have been quite a few things that he passed down and tips and tricks. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Um, I would say the biggest thing is high quality tenants because tenants, even though, you know, you get the perfect deal for the perfect price, tenants could make or break that deal. Right. If you get a tenant that you have to evict, then the lengthy eviction process that you have to deal with, the headaches that come along with it, plus all the costs of that, that could, you know, really put a damper on your dream, your real estate, you know, dreams of having a good real estate portfolio. Right. Mm -hmm. So I found that college students, believe it or not, are one of the best quality tenants if you do the right targeting. So I look for, um, third or fourth year college students or graduate students. Mm -hmm. um, I really especially prioritize uh, pharmacy students, dental students, and medical students mm -hmm. because they're more serious about getting their degree, you know, mm -hmm. passing their classes and everything. So they don't want to put up for, with anyone who wants to, you know, throw a wild party or something like that, right? Oh, sure. Um, another big plus about college students is the parents help manage the property as well because whenever they come by, they help clean up the place. They'll vacuum the floors and they generally want their you know, kid to stay in a nice place. And they're never going to pay late rent or they're never going to not pay rent 
because they don't want their kid to be evicted from the place that they're staying at in mm-hmm. college, right? Sure. So, you know, those are all the huge benefits of student rentals. And that's why I, I, I'm a very big advocate of uh, getting into this market for everyone. Sure. Do you have like any kind of drama issues with, you know, you got four, six kids in this area that frankly, they may not even really know each other by the sounds of this. I mean, they can, things can get kind of uh, interesting, I'd guess. That's true. There is sometimes drama. Um, So I kind of created this process for that too, right? So let's say one tenant complains about another, and I did have this. One tenant said, hey, this other guy, he's smoking pot, he's playing loud music. Um, and I'm trying to do my studying, right? So I was like, oh, shoot, I better call the guy up. So I called him up. And then that tenant was like, hey, why are, what, you know, how do you know about this? Is the other guy just talking behind my back, right? And then so the, the situation escalated and got worse because now the tenants don't trust each other because mm-hmm. they think they're talking behind each other's backs, right? Right. So what I learned from this is, well, like when this issue came up in the future, I empower my tenants now to say, hey, you know, you guys are adults now. You need to talk face to face with each other and see if you can resolve the issue. Right. And then I kind of have, uh, you know, a layout for them um, when they do talk to the other tenant, what they should say and, you know, come up with an actionable plan that they both can agree upon to, you know, make sure that this it doesn't become an issue in the future as well. So, you know, just by empowering the tenants, it really gets rid of a lot of the tenant complaints. And plus, you know, I don't like being the middleman, right? I don't want Mm -hmm. one guy calling me and say, hey, call up the other guy. And the other guy saying, hey, you know, that's not right. I don't agree with that. And so I'm like, you know what, you guys, you know, can take responsibility and, um, you know, solve this issue because you guys are adults, right? Right. So when you when you get a, a request for a repair, you know, I, I keep coming back to the self-managed thing and you, mm-hmm. you kick off the text or something to your preferred uh, contractor. Mm-hmm. Now, how do, you, how do you keep track of all that? Is it, or is it just few and far between four properties? Maybe there isn't a lot of requests, you know, or do you use a, a, some sort of system in order mm-hmm. for, for them to check it off the list or something for you? Oh, yeah. I mean, I definitely uh, keep, um, you know, the proper paperwork and everything uh, in place. But I would say in general, I don't have too many requests nowadays because what I do when I first buy the property, I do a lot of preventative maintenance to make sure, you know, the water heater is up to date, um, to make sure I trim the branches from the trees because, you know, the branches and all that could lead to pest control problems because squirrels and rats can find the branches get onto your roof and enter the house that way. And I actually had that problem before. So I learned to take out trees that are overhanging the house. Um, I learned to take out grass too and replace with bark because that cuts down a lot on the water bill and things like that. Um, I would say another great thing is I, I swear by, I use a lot of drain cleaners, but I use this thing that w- really works well. It's called the green gobbler. I just pour down that, that or I have my tenants pour it down the drain twice a year. And then um, that got rid of all the plumbing issues. Like I used to have a lot more plumbing issues, but after that, you know, it dissolves all the hair and the, the fat, right? And the grease, mm. right? So um, just doing those kind of preventative maintenance steps really go a long way in saving you uh, repair costs and issues that might come up. So do you just bring the chemicals over to their place like twice a year and say, hey, I need you to dump this down there and let it sit for so long? Yeah, pretty much. 
Yeah, mm. I have like a tenant in charge of, you know, that kind of stuff too. Um, yeah. I'll sometimes have a tenant to um, kind of pay for the utility bills and then he'll charge the other tenants for that. So, you know, I don't have to do all the bookkeeping for utility bills because, you know, the, the, the utility bill will be under the tenant's name and so they'll be in charge of the PG&E and then the oh, sure. know, internet okay. and all that. Yeah, exactly. So, so that's another way. So you typically have one person, the one person that handles it and then he, he divides up the bill to everybody else. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So did you give anybody like the person in charge, did you give them like any additional benefits or anything for, for going, taking that on? Um, usually it's on a kind of a volunteer basis. I, I haven't actually provided like financial incentives. Um, the only time I've provided like a financial incentive would be for referrals. Sometimes, you know, at the end of the year, I'll say, Hey, do you guys know anyone who might be interested in the property or staying at the house? And once that referral signs the lease, then I'll give the uh, tenant who referred them $100 just as a referral fee. But I haven't really been having to do that as often nowadays because just because there's so much demand. I would say there's like four tenants interested, like high quality tenants interested for every room I have. Mm -hmm. So nowadays, um, you know, I don't even have to you know, do too much marketing. Sure. Um, uh, so when you so do, so when you do have to do marketing, how do you typically have found your your tenants? Uh, Facebook groups. So sure. every college will have Facebook groups. So uh, there's the textbook exchange group. Uh, there's the off-campus housing group. Uh, there's the class of twenty, you know, twenty twenty-two or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and then you just get onto these groups, and then you post your you know, for rent, right? For anyone interested in staying at a place near campus, five minute walk to campus, right? Or mm -hmm. less. And, um, you know, charge is a lot cheaper than on-campus housing, right? On-campus housing is more like 1200 a month. And, you know, they're only, they're getting a lot less privacy. They're having a shared, you know, dormitory life, right? Mm -hmm. So um, I'm providing my place for $600 a month, which is like half the price. And they're getting a lot more privacy. They're getting a lot more room. And they're just as close to the classes as the on-campus house. Sure. So it's been really great. Yeah, it's, a, it's an amazing, I believe it's a blue ocean market. Sure. What, what do you mean by that, blue ocean market? Oh, blue ocean? Uh, so that basically means, for those who aren't um, aware of the term, it basically means a market that's untapped. Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's like Uber, Right. When Uber, there's the whole taxi service. Right. But then Uber came in and disrupted that by creating um, a phone app that's convenient for users and that so that anyone could book a taxi anywhere sure. across the world. Right. And they put ordinary people into cars. And of course, everyone knows the story of Uber, but that's an example of a blue ocean market. Sure. So you don't have any uh, regulation like in my market. Um, I live in on the river that divides Minnesota and North Dakota. So you probably, mm -hmm. I don't know if you realize that, but in a part of our market, uh, mm -hmm. you can't have, I, I want to say it's, it's over four unrelated people living in the same mm -hmm. house. Right. So type of regulations that you have to deal with. Exactly. So I actually do not because what I do is I call up the local city housing and planning, you know, commission, and I asked them, you know, I want to do this, right? Is this legal? And what do I have to do to make sure it's legal? 
-hmm. they said, yeah, it's totally fine, um, you know, to do this in your college town. You can even have multiple students in the bedroom. You could have multiple leases as long as you have a business license with the city. So as long as the city gets their cut, basically, they were okay with it. And then, you know, I write down the name of the people I talk to, right? And you just got to do that due diligence to make sure that it's allowed in your local county or local city, right? Sure. Um, sure. But I would say most places in California actually do allow that. Okay. Uh-huh. Have you, have you like, since you're catering to college students, do you find that you have to provide some accommodations that you're already dividing up these houses um, mm-hmm. and adding bedrooms where there traditionally isn't going to, wouldn't be like, you know, converting a living room to a bedroom. Or yeah. But have you found that you have to, to attract certain people yet you have to provide uh, any kind of accommodations that wouldn't be traditional? Oh yeah, definitely. So of course you want to make, your place comfortable for your ideal customer or your ideal tenant, right? So uh, for uh, college tenants, um, they prefer convenience. So being close to the school, as close as you can, as possible, um, is a really big plus. Another big plus is having a fully furnished house. So I actually do provide all the furnishings. um, For every bedroom, I have a bed, a desk, a chair, and a nightstand. Sure. So... You know, all of that's provided and it's all tax deductible and everything, right? So once I set it up one time, then it's there pretty much for for life or so, mm-hmm. right? I mean, of course, things break down, but, you know, for the most part, yeah, if I provide the furnishing, that's a huge plus for a lot of the students. So they're willing to maybe pay a little bit more of a premium price just to get that, have that stuff move in rather than them having to buy a couple hundred dollar queen size, no, uh, sorry, um, a full size bed, right. To move into the property. Sure. Do you, outside of that, how, like how often do you have to replace the mattresses and like, how, how often do you have to turn some of that product? So some of that stuff is disposable. I do try to buy the furniture from the previous owner if possible. Mm -hmm. Um, But if not, I will like for the last two houses, I'll furnish every bedroom. And since I furnished it, I haven't had to replace it. Um, you know, we'll see in the future, but for the most part, I look for good quality uh, pieces that I can put into place. Are there any other things like, um, you know, we do have a few college rentals ourselves and we kind of try to college proof it a little bit, uh, (laughs) remove all the carpeting. We, we do more vinyl type flooring. Vinyl flooring. Yeah. Do you follow the same suit on that? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I try to replace um, carpeting sometimes with vinyl flooring, right? Um, all that type of stuff, like you mentioned. Yeah. Sure. Mm-hmm. Well, we're probably coming to the end of our time here, but like I always end with: Is there a question or something that you wanted to cover that I didn't ask about? Uh, I guess the mindset piece is sure. a big part of it. Yeah. So you know, I would recommend reading the book called Miracle Morning. Mm-hmm. That's a really good one. Um, it kind of goes over the type of mindset and how to be productive with your time, right? Uh, but to be a real estate investor, I really think it's like 80% mindset. You have to be able to deal with a lot of obstacles. And, you know, you might get some bills that are pretty hefty bills. They're a couple thousand dollars and it might make you want to quit because, you know, you're dealing with tenant headaches or, you, you know, things break down and you're like, oh my gosh, I can't handle this, Right. But as long as you have like that strong mindset 
and the systems and processes in place to, you know, ha or have like a model, right, for investing, mm -hmm. then that's how you become a successful real estate investor. In fact, all the successful real estate investors I've talked to, they said mindset's huge. You know, mm -hmm. they, they, spent, they spent a lot of time on developing a good, strong mindset. No, that's that's a really yeah. good point, and and you know I I think what's really interesting about your story is that you've had you had a grandfather who kind of been there, done that, yeah, and and uh, that probably helped a lot with your mindset right off the bat. But there there's still something about still getting off that bench and 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 doing it, and and there does take some mindset and some encouraging on your part to to get moving. I mean, it, yeah. So, exactly. and I, you know, that does, you know, I'm going to pull you back into the conversation a little bit. It does. I do add, was curious about, you know, you are a full-time pharmacist, pharmacist, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and a lot of people believe that they have to do real estate investing full-time in order to, you know, do this. Right. Um, but you're doing this as a part-time side hustle with relatively good, you know, serious success like how do you balance that and how and it sounds like you've put all those processes in place to help with that but um, yeah I mean one thing is scheduling out your time right so mm -hmm. I schedule out block out some time that I spend on you know analyzing deals or I might spend it on some simple bookkeeping right to make sure um, you know everything's profitable and everything's going according to plan um, I spend some time meditating. Um, I spend some time journaling every morning as well. Mm -hmm. And so just doing all those exercises, especially time blocking and make sure that you're very efficient with your time. You know, mm -hmm. you only put like an hour and you know, everything that you want should get done within this hour. So you don't have to be perfect, but you just need to get it done. Right. right. So just having that kind of uh, mindset or that type of approach really helped me out. So, and that's where the miracle morning comes into play. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I highly recommend that book for everyone um, if you guys haven't read it yet. Yeah. It's kind of funny. Uh, um, we use uh, Office 365 and, and it, it's like, like there was a recent update or something. So every once in a while, it 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 notices how many projects it ha you have on your agenda or your, you know, how your calendar fills up. And it, yeah. and it uh, said, uh, do you? like Monday, it, it sent me an email saying, do you have enough time to get all your projects done here? Are, <laughs> and it actually said, here yeah. are some times that haven't been filled on your calendar. Would you like to block them out now for focus? Oh, wow. So I, yeah. I, that was kind of a neat upgrade. That was kind of cool. That's really cool. Yeah. Technology nowadays, it's, it's really, um, yeah, making things convenient and uh, making us, you know, helping us uh, achieve our full potential. Yeah. So I really appreciate your time, Ryan. This is this was a great conversation. I'm I'm glad that you reached out. And uh, if people wanted to get in touch with you or follow you on what you're up to, uh, how do they do that? Yeah. So I provide coaching services for those trying to shortcut the whole process. I provide my system um, and my model, right? And you can I, I walk people through the whole deal analysis, renovations, uh, the whole finding high quality tenants, marketing, and managing, self-managing your property, you know, while you're working your full-time job or whatever. And you can reach me at www.newbie, 
realestateinvesting.com. That's www.newbierealestateinvesting.com. And newbie is spelled N-E-W-B-I-E. And if you sign up for my email list, you know, I have a lot of great resources for new investors uh, just trying to get started. So that's awesome. And I'll make sure to include that uh, link in the show notes. But uh, thanks again, Ryan, for being on the show. Yeah, thanks again. It's an honor. We've put a lot of effort into providing useful content. And if you found value in the show and have any interest in supporting us with a small donation, head over to patreon.com slash house dudes. And if you have any thoughts or questions, shoot us an email at info at housedudes.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at House Dudes. And if you like what you're hearing, head over to iTunes, subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. It really helps other investors out there find the show. And remember, massive positive impact requires massive positive action. We'll see you next time. This episode is brought to you by housedudes.com. Do you have time to actively manage flipping and rentals yourself? If so, go for it. If you live in a market that won't cash flow or don't have the time to do all the work, are you just out of luck? If there was a way to participate more passively, would that appeal to you? I'm sure you have questions about how the process works and what to do next. If that's the case, fill out the form on housedudes.com investors, and we'll reach out to see if you are a good fit for our business. This is First Come, First Serve, and we will have to stop taking applications when our goals are met. See you at housedudes.com investors. tell a man what to do with his money but if you ain't investing in property then you're dumber than a dummy i'm not dumb i'm smart well buy property that's my advice <laughs>